thinking about. So kind of the, the thrust of what we're talking about in this, in this chapter is uh, what it looks like to be great in the kingdom of God and how that contrasts with what greatness looks like in, in the eyes of man and in the eyes of the culture. Um, so that's what we'll be talking about today. And I'll just tell a quick story from my own life about this struggle before we get into it. Um, so when I was a student at PRBI, uh, there was a, uh, a student leadership position there uh, with the title of care leader. Uh, typically, there were around eight guys and eight girls each year who held this position. And their job was to uh, lead a weekly small group during the Thursday chapel block and to plan occasional evening events for their group um, throughout the year. And, you know, in my eyes, as a freshman student at PRBI, uh, these care leaders were elite among the students. They were the best of the best, the cream of the crop. They were the most popular. They were, they were the ones that excelled in their academics. Uh, and, and they were obviously the most spiritual students. That, that's, what, that's how I saw them in, in my eyes as an 18-year-old student. Um, and then each year around March, uh, any student that was applying or that was um, coming back to school the next year could apply for these student leadership positions. They could apply to be a care leader. So when March came around, I, I, I put my, my application in because everything in me wanted to be seen as this popular, academic, spiritual student. So I put in my application, I did my, my interview with the, with the deans and whatnot, and um, to make a long story short, I didn't get the role. Uh, and this, this crushed me. I, I, my ego was destroyed. I'll be honest, I cried. Tears, tears came down my eyes about this because I, I, I didn't get this position that I wanted so badly. But you know, looking back on it now, I can honestly say that it was a really good thing that I didn't get that position that year. And I say that because my motivation in wanting the position wasn't to do a good job with, with the, the role. It wasn't because I had this heart to serve my fellow students and, and, and to disciple them. The reason I wanted the job is because I wanted the status of it. I wanted the position. I wanted... Um, I wanted my opinion of myself to be validated by my, by my peers and by the staff and, and faculty at the school. So it, it's a really good thing I didn't get that job because I didn't, I, my heart wasn't right in wanting it in the first place. Um, so in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28, uh, Jesus uh, teaches his disciples about what it looks like to be great in the kingdom of God. And he does this uh, out of a context of them uh, jockeying for position amongst themselves. They were, they were trying to fight to see who could be the greatest among them. So let's take a look at that, and uh, I'll, I'll read that story to you, and then we'll make some comments. Um, so this is Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right 
and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the story begins uh, with James and John's mother uh, approaching Jesus with a with request, and, and, her, and her sons are in tow. And, and, and her request is this. Her request is for her sons to sit at Jesus' right and left-hand side um, in the kingdom of God. Um, and I'll just say, this, this question isn't coming just out of, out of left field. There's a reason why they should even think to ask this question. And that's from a previous conversation that Jesus had had with the disciples. And this, this conversation is recorded in uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. So I'll just read that really quick. It says, this is Jesus talking to the disciples. It says, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So, so Jesus had already told the disciples that they were going to rule with him in the kingdom of God. So, so what James and John were doing here was they, since they already knew that they were going to rule with Jesus, they wanted to make sure that they could rule from the best seats, that they could rule in the prominent positions. And, and being at someone's right and left, at, the, at Jesus' right and left, that has significance, right? Because that would mean that they would be the closest to Jesus. They would, they would be able to, you know, um, easily lean over to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, have you thought about this? Or, or you know, they, they would have the most access to him. Um, so they already knew that they were going to rule, and their request was, can we please rule in the best seats? Um, and it might seem strange that their mom, of all people, would come to Jesus with this request. I mean, why wouldn't James and John just bring this request to Jesus on, on their own behalf? Uh, and, and the reason for that, or what many scholars think the reason for this is, is that uh, James and John's mother was likely um, sisters to, to Mary, Mother Mary, like Jesus' Jesus' mom. Uh, and so it's likely that she was coming to Jesus requesting kind of like a familial favor. Like, hey, Jesus, this is your auntie talking. Would you please take care of your cousins? Would you please make sure that you bring them along 
with you. And, and, and she was doing this with respect, right? She came and she, she knelt before Jesus and, and did this respectfully. But James and John probably thought, you know, this request, it might have a little bit more weight coming from Auntie than it does from, from us as the cousins. So that, that's why it was likely, um, it, that's why it was James' mom. That was, that was James and John's mom that was making this request. Um, but it shouldn't, we shouldn't be misled. Uh, this, this request didn't originate with, with their mother. It originated with them. Uh, this, this same story is actually recorded in, in the Gospel of Mark. And Mark's account leaves, leaves their mom out of it completely. Uh, and the reason for that is because this request, it, it originated with the, with the brothers, but it came through, um, through mom. Now, uh, this request is quite forward. Uh, and it would be easy for us to get swept up in the indignation uh, of the disciples. Like, it, yeah, it's a pretty bold thing to ask. Hey, Jesus, can, can, we, can we rule and can we be the the best among the rulers with you. Um, but something I just thought to point out is that this request actually indicates that, that James and John and their mother had a great faith in Jesus. They, they believed that he was who he said he was, and they, and, they, uh, and they believed that he would, in fact, rule. And, and at the time, there wasn't actually a whole lot of reason for them to believe that that would happen. Jesus didn't have a lot of political power at the time. He didn't, there, there wasn't any sort of revolution starting, but they believed that, that Jesus was who he says, said he was and that he would rule. And I think we can, we can credit them with that. Um, anyway, but upon hearing the request, Jesus simply answers, you don't know what you're asking. You see, uh, the brothers believed that they were asking for a place of honor amongst uh, the disciples. Uh, they were asking for prominence, position, power, and glory. Little did they know that the position that they were requesting would be characterized by suffering, persecution, and the possibility of dying for the sake of Christ. Jesus asked them uh, if they would be able to drink uh, from the cup that he was going to drink from. And, and their, their, their quick response is, yes, we can. We can drink from the cup. And now the cup is, is a metaphor for the suffering that Jesus is destined for on the cross. Uh, and it's a metaphor that actually has been used for destined suffering and persecution throughout the Old Testament. You'll see references to the cup in, in Psalms, in Isaiah, and in Jeremiah. And it always has this connotation of if you drink from this cup, and, and it's a de- like their destiny to drink from it, that it will uh, include suffering, that it will include pain and persecution. And, um, and that suffering is always for the sake of Christ or the sake of, of, of God. Um, so the brothers, they say, yes, we can drink from this cup. And, and, and obviously, they, they can't drink from the, same, from the cup in the same way that Jesus will. They, they can't die. 
for the sins of mankind. It's not possible for them to drink the cup in the same way that Jesus will. Um, but, but Jesus does affirm their answer by saying that they will indeed drink from the cup. And this is true in the lives of, of James and John. Um, James, he was the first of the apostles uh, to become a martyr. Uh, this is recorded in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. It's, it's mentioned in passing pretty well. Uh, So in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, it it says that uh, James was arrested by uh, Herod's men, and then at at King Herod's um, order, James was uh, put to death by the sword. And he was put to death not for for any crime besides um, following Jesus and and preaching his name. So, So James... He, he does drink from the cup, and, he, uh, and it, it costs him his life. Uh, he dies for the sake of Christ. And then uh, John, John was banished to the island of Patmos uh, due to his testimony concerning Christ. And we learn that in the opening verses of, of the book of Revelation. It's on Patmos that John receives that vision from God and, and that we get the book of Revelation. Uh, so John, he not only was he banished there so that he couldn't spread the word of God, he also was put put to hard physical labor in the quarries of Patmos. Uh, so he he uh, was worked um, brutally there uh, for the purpose of him not being able to tell more people about about Jesus. So they did, in fact, drink from the cup. Um, or that they, they would, in fact, drink from the cup, uh, like they said they would. Um, but Jesus, he, he, uh, he ends this conversation by simply saying, guys, it's not up to me. I, I, I can't say who's going to sit at my left and who's going to sit at my right. That's up to God. And he, and he kind of leaves it at that. But an interesting note in that, too, is he's not... He's saying that... What, what Jesus has implied in all this is that ruling with Jesus would include drinking from the cup. Ruling with Jesus wasn't going to be characterized by power and position and fame. It was going to be characterized by suffering, by persecution. Um, and... and by saying it's up to God, it's God's decision, saying that this, in fact is God's will that they would that they would suffer as they rule with him strange that's not what we think of of greatness right in a, in our society nor in theirs um, so that that conversation's over and then in verse 24 it says when the 10 heard about this they were indignant with the two brothers so the disciples, their fellow disciples, they were really angry with James and John because they had used this family connection as an advantage over them. Um, one commentator notes that the indignation of the ten probably has more to do with the fear of missing out and of jealousy than it has to do with humility. So these other ten disciples they knew that they were going to rule with Jesus as well. And, and they were indignant because it's likely that they wanted those spots too. 
It's likely that they wanted to rule at Jesus' right and left, but they just hadn't been so bold to ask. And they were angry with, the, with James and John because uh, they had maybe jeopardized their, the other ten disciples' chance of ruling at, at Jesus' right and Jesus' left. And out of this, they, they start to argue about, you know, who deserves these spots. And, and Jesus, he hears what they're saying, and he goes over to them, and he, he gets them all sit down, you know. I'm not sure how, a lot of you guys have kids. Sometimes they're arguing. You have to bring them all together and say, all right, sit down. We're going to talk about this, right? He, he gets his, his group together and says, we're going to figure this out. And he, and he sets the record straight as to what greatness in the kingdom of God uh, looks like. Um, and so let's, let's look at verses, uh, verse 25 again. It says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So Jesus, um, he calls their attention to examples of greatness in their own society. And that would be the Gentile rulers and, and the high officials. Now, many, if not most, of these men, these rulers and officials, uh, they, they were selfish individuals who used their position of power to their own advantage. They would impose their will on others in order to get what they wanted, and they would make sure that everyone around them knew just how important they were. Their expectation was that they would be respected, feared, and that they would be treated luxuriously. Their expectation was, would be that they would never have to lift a finger in their own service. Um, so in, in the eyes of the world, greatness is meant to be served. But in the kingdom of God, those who are great are those who serve. He, he's setting up this dichotomy here. Um, now we'll read uh, verse 26 and 27. He says, Jesus says to them, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Jesus is telling his disciples to, to stop worrying about how they see themselves. To stop worrying about how others see them. Uh, to stop worrying about how they stack up against their, their fellow disciples. He is telling them not to be concerned with serving themselves and their own needs, but to care for the needs of others. He's asking them to serve with the motive of honoring God rather than the, the motive of serving themselves, of being, with the motive of being noticed or, or patted on the back for the good, for the good deeds they do. And to really drive this point home, he, he turns their attention to himself, the ultimate example of what greatness looks like in the kingdom of God. Verse 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, the disciples would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. Because Jesus, up to this point, had told them three times. 
he, that he was going to go to Jerusalem, that he was going to be arrested there, that he was going to be tried, and that he was going to die. For the, um, and in fact, just before this conversation was the, was the last time that he had done this. In, in um, Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 19, Jesus, Jesus tells them what his destiny is, which is to go and to suffer um, for mankind. Uh, we'll just read that really quick. It says, um, this is 20 verse 18. It says, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. So the disciples, they, they knew the road that Jesus was walking towards. I don't know if they would have fully acknowledged or grasped it yet, but, but they had heard Jesus talking about this on several occasions. And so Jesus, he, he takes, in verse 28 here, he turns the, their attention towards himself and says, listen, I'm, I am literally God, <laughs> right? Jesus is literally God. And he's saying, I came to serve to serve mankind. I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. Uh, and if there was ever a man who, who deserved to be served and to have his greatness recognized and, and celebrated, it, it was Jesus Christ. But he gave that up in order, in order to serve mankind, that's you and me, in the most humble, radical, and selfless way possible. He willingly took on the punishment for our sin so that we could have eternal life, so that we could be with, with the Father. Uh, which, and, and he, of course, accomplished this through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Um, the Apostle Paul uh, summarizes this perfectly um, in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, verses 5 to 8, when he says this. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. So Jesus, um, the greatest man that ever, that ever lived, he, he, didn't, he didn't think it necessary to flaunt his greatness, to flaunt his power, to use it to his own advantage. But instead, he, he decided that he would put that aside uh, and, and serve as only he could serve uh, by offering himself as a, as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind. So, so Jesus is telling us that as his followers, we need to adjust our motivations. The people of this world are motivated by doing whatever is best for themselves. They are motivated by power, position, and praise. Again, Jesus is the greatest person that has ever lived, and he didn't feel the need to flaunt that 
or to use his power to his own advantage. So if, if, we want, if you want to be great, follow the example of Jesus. This requires that we switch our motivation from doing what is best for ourselves to being motivated by how we can best honor God and how we can best serve others. And, and this, is, this is a total turnaround for us. It's a total turnaround in our thinking because, well, maybe, I don't know, I can just speak for myself, I guess, but I think it's pretty natural for us as, as humans to, to want to wanna grab for power because we like being noticed. We like being recognized. We don't like having to do tasks that we believe are lower than ourselves, right? Because um, a lot of the time we think, well, the higher up I go, the less of this menial stuff that I'll have to do, the, the less I'll have to you know, pick up garbage and clean toilets and whatever, right? Um, but he's saying, yeah, don't, don't just try and... What am I trying to say? The Christian life isn't about climbing the ladder of success. It's not about making ourselves great above others. It's about uh, following the example of our Savior and, and, and using what we have to, to serve others. Um, and this, this can take form in a lot of practical ways. Um, at the camp, there's, there's countless opportunities that I've often failed to take to, to, to do these sort of things. Um, so, like, at the camp, all the time, there, there's, there's garbage on the ground from, from kids enjoying their tuck. And, and it's easy for me to, to walk around the camp and walk by that and think, ah, somebody else will pick that up. Or to go into the washroom and find a mess in there, we won't get too graphic about that, and think, ah, somebody else will clean that up. You know, that's, that's below my position. Um, and, and, you know, like, I'm just being challenged not to think that way. And, and Jesus isn't, he's not just talking about the, those sort of things and, and serving others. He's also, we can also think about this from a greater perspective. Uh, because in some ways, it can be hard for Christians to be great in the eyes of society. Uh, right? Because sometimes standing with God means standing against what society thinks too, right? And um, that's what happened to, to the apostles, right? If, if they wanted to be great in the eyes of their society, they probably would have had nothing to do with Jesus because that was not, um, that was not part of climbing the social ladder. They knew that following Jesus would result in, their, in persecution, that it would result in suffering. And, and so even on a, on a bigger level, uh, we as Christians, um, we can think about that too. We're like, okay, are we going to be concerned with being seen as great in the eyes of man? Or are we going to be concerned about being great in the eyes of God? Because if we're concerned with being great in the eyes of man, it'll probably mean that we're fudging our faith and our convictions a little bit. Um, anyway, I'm not going to rant about that or anything like that too much. But, yeah, being great in the eyes of man and being great in the kingdom of God, 
are very different. And to be great in the kingdom of God means that we are going to um, humble ourselves and that we are, we are going to look to serve uh, rather than to be served. Um, yeah, we'll leave it there. Thanks, everyone.